Happy Sunday, everyone, and welcome to Epic Online Services. We're so grateful to have you here today with us. And if you're new, my name is Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and you came on a great day. You joined us on a great day because today we are starting a brand new series about the life of Jesus called I Am. And this is gonna be a great series, I think, for us right now in this time as we're facing this pandemic because I I can't think of anything better for us to do right now than for us to get well acquainted with Jesus because he's the one who can guide us through what we're going through. So that's what we're gonna do in this series. And to set this series up, I wanna know how many of you are familiar with the TV game show called To Tell the Truth? So raise your hand at home if you're familiar with this. And I can't tell if you're raising your hand or not, but if you aren't familiar with this TV show, it goes back to the 50s and it last aired in 2018. So it's been around for quite a while and it's gonna air this upcoming summer with Anthony Anderson as the host. And let me tell you the the premise of this game show. So there's a host, uh, like I said, then there are four celebrity panelists Then there are three contestants and the host says to the celebrity panelist, we have three contestants here and one of them is this real person. And then he describes that person's job or experience in life. And then the panelists have to figure out, do their best during the show to figure out whether or not uh, they can decide which one of those contestants is the real person. And the real person has to tell the truth whenever they're asked a question. And the panelists can ask whatever the questions that they want during the time frame of the show. And the other two are imposters. They're not the real person. And they're trying to get uh, the panelists to guess them as the real person. Then at the end of the show, the panelists make their guesses about who they think the real person is. And then the host will say, now would the real person please stand up? And then that person stands up and they all figure out, oh, I was right or I was wrong. It's kind of a a cool little game show. Now I tell you about that game show because it seems like that's what we're doing today with Jesus. It seems like there's some people that say, you know what? I, I think Jesus was God in the flesh and they worship him that way. There are other people that say, you know what? I don't think that he's God in the flesh. I just think that he's a a prophet, like a really good prophet. Maybe he got misunderstood a little bit. There's other people that say, you know what? I don't think he's God in the flesh. I don't think he's a prophet. I just think he was a good man. And then there are other people that say, you know, I don't even know that he exists. So there's all kinds of opinions out there about Jesus. And when it comes to this question of who Jesus really is, This isn't like watching a game show where it's kind of fun to see who's right and who's wrong. The Bible teaches that our answer to that question about who Jesus is has eternal consequences. So this is a really big deal. This is an eternal life or death issue for all of us. So we need to get this right. So in this series, we're gonna explore who Jesus really is. And what I want you to do is I want you to imagine that you are one of the panelists on the show to tell the truth. And we're gonna look at Jesus. We're gonna watch some of his interactions with people. You're gonna have an opportunity to pick up some clues along the way about who he really is. And then at the end of our time together, you're gonna have a decision to make about who you think the real Jesus is. 
So we're going to start today in John chapter four. And in John chapter four, we're going to see Jesus leading his disciples on a journey from the south part of Israel, known as Judea, to the north part of Israel, known as Galilee. And John chapter four, verse four tells us that Jesus had to go through the region called Samaria. So let me tell you about Samaria. Samaria was a place that no Jew wanted to travel through. And it wasn't because the Samaritans were some barbaric people. It was because the Jews thought that the Samaritans were traitors against their God. So a Samaritan community was made up of Jewish people who intermarried with people of other nationalities and pure-blooded Jews hated the fact that those Jews had done that. And so they got the new name Samaritan and they were basically outcasts and treated as outsiders. There was some hatred. There was a lot of tension between these two groups of people. The Samaritans felt like the Jews were judgmental and, and thought that they were right about everything. And the Jews, again, didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. And verse five tells us that as they were traveling along, Eventually, Jesus came to the Samaritan village of Sakar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. And Joseph's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Now, verse six there gives us a clue about Jesus. It says that Jesus got tired and he sat wearily beside the well. Now, there are some people that read that and conclude that Jesus must not be God because if he was God, he wouldn't get tired and he wouldn't be weary by the well that day. There are other people that conclude this proves that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man at the same time and he can identify with everything that we're going through. Now, if you're a parent, you might come to a different conclusion about why Jesus is tired. You might think, if you've taken a long journey maybe with your family, you might think, you know what? I know what happened. Jesus got tired of all the disciples in the backseat moaning and groaning and complaining. Maybe Peter was saying, you know what? John crossed my line. He, he crossed over and took my toy. You know, Peter won't let me look out the window. Maybe Jesus got, just got tired, pulled off the first exit he could find and said, all right, everybody out of the car. You go get something to eat. You guys go to the bathroom. I'm just gonna sit here quietly by myself because I'm exhausted because of you. Now, that's probably what we would do as parents. And Jesus uh, didn't do that. Jesus was actually tired, but we're going to hold on to that clue about Jesus and come back to that in just a little bit. So it's noontime. It's hot. And verse seven says this, says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now, we've got to wonder about this Samaritan woman and why she came to the well in the heat of the day. It was customary at that time in that culture uh, for women to make it a community event to go get water in the morning. So all the ladies would go together to get water from the well that they needed for the day and they would go home before it was way too hot for them to be out doing that kind of thing. So why does this woman 
come to the well at the middle of the day. We're going to find out as we continue to read that this woman uh, had some relaxed morals is one way to say that. There's a chance that she was the town prostitute. We're not exactly sure, but it is sure as we continue to read, it'll be very clear that this woman is an outcast in an outcast society. So that's why she comes to the well by herself in the middle of the day. Again, Jesus is gonna ask her for a drink and I want you to watch how he responds, how he treats her as she, he does that. Now the woman was surprised, verse nine says, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Verse 19, the woman said, sir, you must be a prophet. Now, at first, this woman thinks like, I'm just talking to an arrogant Jew. You know, this Jew who, who thinks he's better than our ancestor, Jacob. And then when Jesus reveals her background, she goes one step back and thinks, well, let me change my mind about who Jesus really is. Like maybe he's a religious prophet. He knows a lot about me. He doesn't, he's never met me before and yet he knows a lot about me. So maybe he's a, a prophet. She feels really uncomfortable as I think we all would feel. You know, if you've got some hidden part of your life or some part of your life that you're ashamed about that you don't want other people to know about, and yet somebody reveals that, kind of exposes that in front of you. And I'm sure she was thankful there was nobody else around at that moment, but I'm sure she still felt very vulnerable and uncomfortable as Jesus revealed her background. So she did what I think any of us would do. She changes the subject. So she changes the subject to a religiously hot topic, a topic that the Jews and the Samaritans have been arguing about. And she thinks, you know what? I'm gonna throw this hand grenade out to Jesus. Jesus is gonna get upset. The conversation will be over and I can just go back to my life. So in verse 20, she says this. She says, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? And Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. 
You Samaritans know very little about the one that you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Now, here's what I think this Samaritan woman is doing at this moment. I think she's still trying to end the conversation. I think she says like, yeah, Jesus, you have answered just like every other Jew would answer. Like, you know everything and we don't know anything. Like you worship God the right way. We worship God the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. When Christ comes, he'll explain it all to us and we'll just have to wait until then, hoping to end the conversation and go about her way. But Jesus shocks her with his response in verse 26. So in verse 26, Jesus says this, I am the Messiah. It's a shocking statement for her. Now, for us, as we read this today, it could be really easy for us to kind of skip over that and miss the clue that's there and not understand what was really being said by Jesus. And to understand what Jesus was really saying, we have to actually go back to Exodus chapter three. In the Old Testament part of the Bible, written before the life of Jesus, thousands of years before the life of Jesus, we have to go to an encounter that God had with a man named Moses. So God came to Moses one day and said, Moses, I see my people, my specially chosen people, the people of Israel, they're in slavery to the Egyptians and I want you to go free them from that slavery. And Moses said, no thanks, I'm not gonna do it. I'm not a good speaker, I'm not a good leader, pick somebody else. And then in verse 13, he protested to God again. And he said this, he said, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask me, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? Like, really God, they are not going to believe me. I don't even know your name. And in verse 14, God replied to Moses. He said, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So when Jesus used those two words, I am, he used the exact same phrase that God used in that encounter with Moses. That was a really big deal. So Jesus was not claiming to be just a good man. He was not claiming that he was a good prophet. He was claiming to be God himself. And this woman would have picked that up. She would have understood that clue in that moment. And I think that's why verse 28 says, she left her jar, her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? Now I'm sure there were some people in her village that said, come on. 
Like, it's not that hard to, to describe everything that you've ever done. I'm sure all he had to do was go on your Facebook page and kind of check you out over the past few years and see all the things that you've done, all the places you've been, all the people that you've been with, and then he could have easily known that about you. They probably weren't all that shocked, but they came out. Verse uh, 30 says, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. Verse 40 says, when they came to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days. He stayed there for two days. So can you imagine what his disciples felt? I mean, here they are not wanting to even stop at this exit to get gas and something to eat. And Jesus says, uh, we're going to stay here for two days. It means we're going to eat with these people and we're going to sleep in their beds. We're going to stay in their homes. We're going to talk to these people. And what are they talking about? He stayed long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. So what was his message? His message was that he was the Messiah, that he offers living water, which leads to eternal life. And it's available to anyone who chooses to believe in him. Verse 42 tells us that the people from that community told the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. And now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. So on that day, when some Jews seemed to get off at the wrong exit for gas and to uh, get some, something to eat, a whole village, a whole community of people came to a conclusion about Jesus and what they concluded was, like, he's not just a prophet. He's not just a really good man. No, he's the savior of the world. And he cares enough about us to stop in our community for us. Now, not everybody made the same conclusion about Jesus. Matthew chapter 13 describes another journey that Jesus was on. He stopped in a town called Nazareth. And it says this in verse 54, it says, when he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. Uh, he's just a, the carpenter's son. We know Mary, his mother and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All of his sisters live right here among us. So where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. So the people of Nazareth came to a different conclusion about Jesus. They observed his life. They said, you know, he's not the real savior. He's not the real Messiah. He's an imposter. He's a fake. He's, he's just a, a carpenter's son. He's just a man. And they rejected him as their savior. Now, the question goes back to you and I, is we have to make a decision about Jesus. So for us, is Jesus just a, a good man? Is he a prophet who was completely misunderstood? Or was he really God in the flesh? Was he the great I am that offers eternal life to everyone? If you aren't a Christ follower, that is the biggest decision that you have to make in your life. 
It's the most important decision for you to make. Again, because this has eternal consequences. And I hope as we've explored Jesus a little bit today, I hope that you have picked up several things. And here's some things I hope you understand about him. So number one, I hope you understand that Jesus really is God in the flesh. And the reason that is so important is because if he isn't God in the flesh, then really he shouldn't be trusted. He's delusional. He claimed to be God. And if he's not God, then he's not a good teacher either because of what he claimed. So I want you to listen to what author C.S. Lewis said about that in his book called Mere Christianity. He said this, he said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. And they say this, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. C.S. Lewis continues and he says, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says that he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So either Jesus is fully God and he can be fully trusted by us or he's a madman and we shouldn't have anything to do with him. The second thing that I hope you understand today about Jesus is that he knows what it's like to be you. Again, he was 100% God and 100% man. And if you struggle with math like I do, you do some uh, calculation, you go, yeah, that doesn't really work out in my mind. But I want you to listen to what Philippians chapter two says about that. It says in verse six, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Then Hebrews Chapter four, verse 15 says, Jesus understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be human. Jesus knows what it's like to be you. Jesus knows what it's like to be me. He knows what it's like to navigate all the crazy things that are going on in our lives because he did that himself. And so he knows what you're going through. So he's the one that we should be turning to in these moments of crisis, whether it's a health crisis, a financial crisis, a relationship crisis, whatever crisis, he is the one we should be turning to because he knows what it's like to be like us. The third thing I hope you understand today is that God goes out of his way to offer eternal life to everyone. John chapter four, verse four told us that Jesus had to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. But that wasn't technically true. 
Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. He could have taken a route that many Jews would have taken around Samaria. Uh, Most Jews, if not all Jews, would have said, I don't want to go through Samaria. I'll take the long way around just to avoid that region. But Jesus didn't do that. It said he had to go through Samaria. So why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? I think he had to go through Samaria to prove to us that he came for everyone. He offers eternal life to everyone. He didn't just come for Jewish people. He didn't just come for religious people. He didn't just come for people who were born in the right family. He came for everyone and he proved it to us that day. And he still proves it to us today. Now, I don't know if you feel like this, but there are many people today that feel like a Samaritan. They don't feel good enough, especially when it comes to God. They just don't feel like they're good enough for God to care about them or good enough to be in a relationship with him. Maybe they don't know enough about the Bible. Maybe they don't go to church enough. Maybe they've kind of messed up their lives, maybe made some poor choices. And they just think, you know what? God just is really disappointed in me and he doesn't really care about me because I'm not following all the right religious rules. But that day Jesus proved to us that he'll go out of his way to offer eternal life for us And I hope that you understand that God has done that for you. Jesus proved his love for you 2,000 years ago when he died on a cross to show you how much he loves you and how valuable you are to him. Here's the truth. The truth is we are all the woman at the well. We have all done things that have made us outcasts. The Bible's clear about that. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And this may or may not surprise you, but that includes me. So I have been the woman at the well. I have done things in my life that have made me an outcast. And yet God loves outcasts and he does anything and everything he can. He goes out of his way to help outsiders become insiders because he loves us that much and has everything to do with him and what he does for us and nothing to do with us. So listen to uh, to Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. It says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. God loves you. And again, he's gonna go out of his way to do anything and everything to prove that to you. And he has when he died on the cross for you. Now, maybe some of you are at the spot where this Samaritan woman was, or some of the other people in her community were, where she was ready to put her faith and trust in Jesus as her Messiah. And maybe for you today, maybe it makes sense. Like maybe all the puzzle pieces finally fit in the right spot, or maybe it doesn't make sense. Maybe you look at the reality of a God who knows everything about you and loves you anyway, and you go, that just doesn't make sense to me but that's our kind of God that we serve is a God who knows everything and he loves us anyway. So maybe you're at the spot where you're like, I'm ready 
to believe. I'm ready to put my faith and trust in him. So if you're in that spot, here's what you gotta do. Number one, tell him that you need him. Number two, tell him that you believe in him as your savior and then ask him to come into your life to be your savior. Revelation chapter three, verse 20. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. So if you aren't a Christ follower, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart right now and he's knocking and he's waiting. He's a gentleman, he's waiting. He's not gonna bust the door open to your life and barge in and become an authoritarian God for you. He's just waiting. He's a gentleman again. He's knocking and waiting. So if Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, will you answer it? Here's how you answer it. You go to the door and you say, Jesus, like, I need you. Jesus, I believe that you're not just a good man. You're not just a prophet. I believe you're the Messiah. You're the savior of the world. And I need you to be my personal Lord and savior. Just tell him that. And the really cool thing is you can do that right everywhere, right where you are right now, wherever you are. You don't have to be in church. You don't have to be with a pastor. You don't have to be with a priest in order to, to start a relationship with God. You can start that relationship right now. And I hope you will. I hope you'll pause and just have a conversation with God. And if you have that conversation, if you start that relationship, I hope you'll reach out to us. You can reach out to us on Facebook. You can reach out to us at info at theepicchurch.com and just let us know because we would love to celebrate with you and we would love to help you grow in your new relationship with God. Now, if you are a Christ follower, let me ask this closing question. Are you helping people around you understand that God loves them and that God will go out of his way to do anything to have a personal relationship with them? It was something we didn't read out of this John chapter four passage is what uh, Jesus said to his disciples when they came back with lunch. So they came back uh, after going to to get lunch and some of the disciples had Chick-fil-A, some had uh, firehouse subs and somebody else had Wendy's, I don't know. So they're, they're coming back with lunch and they see Jesus talking with this Samaritan woman and it was a scandalous kind of thing. They're thinking like, why are you speaking with this woman right now? Do you know what kind of woman she is? None of them dared to ask him. They didn't have the nerve to ask him what his purpose was in that conversation. So they offer him some lunch. And Jesus says in John chapter four, verse 32, he says, I have a kind of food that you don't know anything about. And he goes on to say in verse 34, then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around the fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit that they harvest is people brought to eternal life. And what joy awaits both the planter and the harvest alike. So I think Jesus is saying the same thing today. I think he's saying the same thing to us as Christ followers. If you're a follower of Jesus, I think Jesus is saying, wake up. 
There are people all around you who don't have a relationship with me and they need that. There are people all around who don't believe that I'm the Messiah, that I'm the savior. There are people all around that don't understand that I know what their life is like. There are people all around that don't believe that I'll do anything and everything to prove my love for them. So you and I have a responsibility to let those people around us know that. And I guarantee you, there's somebody around you right now that feels like a Samaritan. They feel like they're not good enough for God. And yet they need to understand how valuable they are to him. So how are you doing at sharing your faith with people around you who desperately need to know who Jesus really is? Now, hopefully today you've come to a conclusion that Jesus is God in the flesh that he is the savior of the world. And hopefully you've come to the conclusion that he is your savior. But there just might be some folks that aren't at that spot yet. Maybe you're hearing what I'm saying today and you're curious and you're saying, okay, I need a little bit more before I make that final decision. So if you're in that spot, I encourage you to join us again next week and join us for this entire series because we're gonna get well acquainted with Jesus and the things he said about himself in scripture and the ways that he proved those things to be true. So come back next week as we keep digging deeper into what what we're learning together about Jesus. And as we walk through this series, another thing that I encourage you to do is read the book of John. So that's what we'll be studying in this series. This is a study of the I am statements that Jesus made in the book of John. So I encourage you to start reading the book of John. And if you download our spiritual growth challenge, you'll see a Bible reading plan that you can follow along with. And I hope you'll just follow that along on Monday through Friday, and it'll guide you in what to read. But for next week, if you will just read John chapter 10, if you read John chapter 10, You'll be getting acquainted with what we will be reading next week and that'll help you get prepared for that. So thanks for joining me today uh, for this. And I'm gonna pray. And after I pray, then we're gonna have some discussion questions come up. And I really encourage you just to spend some time processing through these. Uh, Don't just quickly go on your day, but just slow down a little bit and continue to ask and answer some questions about who Jesus really is to you. So let's pray together and then do that. So Lord, I'm so grateful again for the power of scripture that it records uh, these stories, these true interactions that happened where we can learn about Jesus. And so Lord, today we have learned about you, Jesus, that you are God in the flesh. We learned that, that you know what it's like to be human. You know what it's like to be just like us. And Lord, we learned that you'll do anything and everything You'll go out of your way to prove your love for all of us. And Lord, there just might be some folks today that are like that Samaritan village where they're ready to put their faith in you. And I hope that they have. And Lord, for those who have, Lord, I pray that you would grow them in that new relationship. I pray that you would get them connected in a good church family where they can continue to grow in that new relationship that will transform their today and their forever. But Lord, there just might be some folks that are still questioning, still not really sure. Lord, I pray that you would continue to prove yourself to them and they would really evaluate the evidence that you put in front of them. Thanks for the opportunity for us to be here today. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for joining us today, everybody. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.